Welcome to Financial Planning for Oil and Gas Professionals, hosted by certified financial planners Justin Brownlee and Jared Machen of Brownlee Wealth Management. The only podcast dedicated to those of you in the oil and gas profession to help you optimize investments, lower future taxes, and grow your wealth. Learn more and subscribe today at brownleewealthmanagement.com. Welcome back to another episode of FPOG, Financial Planning for Oil and Gas Professionals. This week on the podcast, we're going to talk about what to do if you're 55 and your company starts removing benefits. Uh, In this episode, we're going to talk about what you need to know before you leave, what you're allowed to do before 59 and a half, and then what are the some of the biggest tax opportunities and threats related to uh, that decision? And we want to thank our listeners because uh, you are awesome. And this is another listener question. So uh, this question came to us in the context of murmurings about ExxonMobil uh, kind of beginning to wind down their pension and stop making contributions on on empl- on the employee's behalf. Uh, and that is not that is not guaranteed, but that that is a the thought exercise that that kind of prompted. Uh, this conversation. So, Justin, let's start with you know because because we do see this right as as people kind of get later in their career, but the benefits today for a new entrant is drastically different than what an old uh, lifetime employee had available to them. Paint the picture for us and talk about uh, kind of what people need to be thinking about as as they get to this situation where they're in their mid to late fifties, uh, and then they kind of just see benefits being taken away or trimmed back or scaled back. We uh, talk a lot about the timeline around retirement and understanding the financial planning timeline and the implications of making big life decisions. In in other words, retiring at 55 compared to 65, there's a huge difference there. And it it really touches every part of your financial plan. But uh, I think it's an interesting topic because companies will lay a benefit structure. So companies will create you know, whether it's their stock plan, their 401k, their pension, whatever benefits they offer, a company is always going to try and think, what am I trying to incentivize? And Jared, we mentioned ExxonMobil. Uh, this came from someone who has retired from ExxonMobil. ExxonMobil's current structure has an incentive to keep people there until age 60. So if you are 56 years old and you are planning on hanging around because the pension rewards you for hanging around until 60, the thought is, well, what if ExxonMobil no longer wants those people employed and maybe they will take the benefit uh, structure they currently have, change it to disincentivize people staying around until age 60. And this is very relevant for really all employers. Uh, And so if you have a pension plan, every pension plan is written differently and your HR department has a a big say in in how that is written along with the custodian of the pension plan. And, you know, square one is it is really important, especially if you're in your 50s and you have a pension benefit, it's important for you to understand the ins and outs of your pension and just figure out how do you kind of win that game? So they've, they've created some sort of board game with rules. And for ExxonMobil, it's, you know, you, it, it's helpful to get to age 60. But whatever your pension plan says, it's important to understand the rules and, and how to win that. Uh, but where, should, where else should we touch on with this point? No, I, I think that's right, right? Like one of the things that we noticed a bunch was with the change in interest rates. A great example of this is uh, with rising rates, the, the pension benefit uh, actually decreased. So a lot of we, you know, we had a lot of people doing the math and basically coming to the conclusion that there is a 
non-zero probability that I could work for the next year for free. Um, and, and I could, or I could even, you know, pay a little money to work because the, the wages I would get over a year are less than the pension accrual. So, uh, know your rules and know the, know the rules of the pension that really matters. But I think one of the, another thing we should talk about related to all of this is know your situation, right? So know the rules of the pension and the benefits and the trade-offs, but also know your situation, right? So like one of the things that really should drive this, right? Financial planning, your life is at the center, not your finances. So if Exxon phases out the pension and, and you don't need it to retire successfully and live the life you want to live, then there's no need in sticking around. Um, and conversely, if, if you drastically need the, you know, ongoing pension contributions to successfully retire or your retirement portfolio can handle, you know, maybe tw- like 30 years of time horizon, but not 40, uh, if you retire earlier than anticipated, uh, that's, that's a consideration. So it's, it's kind of these, these two components of, Hey, I need to know the rules of my pension, but I also need to know where I stand financially and how, how contingent, uh, the pension is, or the accrual of the pension is on me being able to live the life that I want to live. Um, and Justin, I, I guess the next place to go is just to be to touch on is also, you know, Hey, am I in the position to retire today? And what do my future job prospects look like? Because that's a huge component. And what, how, you know, our client, based on our client demographic, what would you say the percentage that retire full time and never do any work after they do that? Who? Good question. A little bit less than 50%. I want to say most of our retired clients, uh, and gosh, a ton of these people did not necessarily expect to do this either, but a lot of them have gone back into consulting or part-time work. Um, So yeah. Would you agree, Jared? A little over half? I think that's right. Um, And and that's right. Talking about taking inventory, know the plans, you know, know, know your plan rules, know what you need. And then also like know the market for your future job prospects. Right. Cause if, if you like the idea of working, you know, 20 hours a week, uh, you, you're probably not going to get the benefits of a super major oil and gas company. You might get some, and that can make a meaningful difference. Uh, you know, in retirement pre being 65 and Medicare eligible healthcare is, a, you know, it's, it's a serious expense. So, you know, having a, an employer that even offers that or some small match or some sort of retirement plan could be, could be really valuable. You know, another way to phrase what, what you said is that if the pension benefit changes or goes away, remember that the pension is one part of your financial life. And the if you kind of think of a hierarchy of needs, the foundational question that you have to ask is, can you retire today? Can you stop working today? And for some of you, well, the pension may be, you know, 20% of your entire financial picture. And maybe you've already crossed the goal line of, hey, I've got enough assets. I could live for 40 years on these assets with a reasonable inflation expectation. And you've got it modeled out to where you are what, what we would call financially independent. So work is now optional. Uh, but the you know, other scenario is yes, maybe the pension is is a portion of your financial situation, but you do not yet have enough assets to go ahead and make work optional, and, and you need a paycheck. In which case, it is paramount to understand. Okay, what are your skills in the marketplace? What is your value after retiring? How much could you potentially make as a consultant or just at another company? And so, in other words. The pension is a really big deal, and you certainly want to only continue working if you're getting fairly compensated, including your benefits for that, but you still have to ask the foundational question. 
is this my best option at this current job or is there a better option? And then overlaid with that is, do you have the ability to go ahead and stop working? Um, do you know where your next 40 years, where, where that could potentially come from? Should we t- clarify why we keep saying 40 years? It, it probably seems like a massive time frame, and a lot of people might listen to that and think, well, I'm not going to live until I'm 97. No, I mean, right. Like the reason we plan is right. Like if you look at life expectancy, uh, that's a number that hasn't moved up in the past few years in the US, but medical advances continue to make it possible to move up. But, you know, if you are in your mid fifties, uh, it's definitely in the realm of possibilities living into your mid nineties. Right. And so like, that's, that's a reasonable time horizon. And the sooner that you retire, the longer your portfolio becomes, the bigger the strain is on your portfolio to produce income. Right. So that's really what it comes down to. And it's just prudent risk management. Um, cause if, you know, if you, if you think about it from an opportunity cost perspective, if you plan for a longer lifetime horizon than you have, and you sh- you're short of that, then you may have extra assets at the new- end of your life. If you underestimate how long you expect to live and you live beyond that, that could be, that could create some uh, adverse adverse impacts in financial instability and insecurity later on in your life when health when health uh, becomes really expensive and and even often living sometimes become really expensive because the amount of care you need. Yep. Two quick points on that. Um, so think about a timeline. If you retire at 65 and however long you live. That is very different than retiring at 55. And one of the difficulties of retiring young is, well, you obviously spend more money. Um, If you're going to be retired for 25, 30 years, you are going to spend less than being retired 35, 40 years. Just a simple math calculation, not even thinking about inflation and other variables. Um, but then the second and and probably the, the more difficult obstacle to overcome is if you retire at 55 and you don't do a whole lot of work thereafter, well, that's 10 extra years that you miss with compound interest. And so, Jared, what happens to a portfolio if it grows at 7% a year in 10 years? Yeah. Law 72 says it's approximately double uh, that's right. what, it's, what its value is. Yeah. So if you're 55 and you have 4 million, well, just doing nothing for 10 years and letting that 4 million continue to grow, that gets you to 8 million. <laughs> that uh that's not nothing. I think the final thing I would say with that point though is, you know, everything we just said is a reason to continue working or to go into consulting. And I do want to be mindful that we make decisions all the time that don't maximize your bottom line financially. And so I've got a bunch of kids. Um, I like to go out to eat. Um, I like to do other things that cost money. Every financial decision you make uh, that that is an expense, anytime you have to give money for something, well, financially, you would be better off not spending money and you would be better off working forever. Uh, but we don't maximize always for the financial bottom line. A lot of times we maximize for what is the life bottom line. And so it's just important to cover all those bases. Yeah. And I would say you're making investments, just not of the financial variety, right? Like you're trading this thing called currency, you know, and using it to build relationships and memories and experiences. So like definitely worthwhile endeavor. Well, I, I would be remiss if I didn't mention that I just spent an enormous amount of money last weekend taking my wife and my parents to the Big 12 championship game that K-State did win their third Big 12 title, uh, which I think we can all recognize Kansas State as the premier program in the new Big 12 conference. But to your point, Jared, that was an incredible time. And yeah, it cost a lot of money, but I'm really glad I did it. That's exactly right. But so 
Just so we talked about, you know, changing your retirement time horizon. And it's funny where we'll go next. You talked about the base layer of the hierarchy of needs. Okay. Do I have enough to retire? So there's almost an asterisk next to that question because retiring pre 59 and a half creates a ton of retirement and tax complexity, right? Because there's, there's a lot of legislation as to what, what accounts you can tap, can't tap penalties involved. So if you're retiring from a company and everything's in a pension and a pre-tax uh, 401k, the number you think you have, if you have nothing in taxable assets to fund until age 59, you could have drastically less because you're having to pay income tax and penalties. So you might have enough on paper, but you have to think about the after-tax, after-penalty amount. And so that, that'll kind of go into step two that's really talking about, okay, what are we allowed to do before 59 and a half? Because there's there's some pretty important rules and things that we need to be aware of there. Okay. So maybe the first idea with this point is understand your family balance sheet by tax registration. So when you're looking at your different accounts, all of your assets, it's important to understand where are your assets and how much of your assets are in what we would label a red bucket, which is a pre-tax 401k or IRA. So your 401k, a pension, any pre-tax money in an IRA, that is one distinct bucket because you are subject to income tax when you take distributions. And an IRA, you're not allowed to take it without incurring a penalty until you're 59 and a half. But there are a couple exclusions you could take advantage of uh, if you do them properly. Then, so so in, subject to future income tax, that's one bucket. Another asset you could have, we would you know, put a green color on this. This is Roth IRA, Roth 401k, a tax-free bucket. And there are some opportunities to uh, tap into a Roth IRA, uh, but it does still carry a partial 59 and a half rule uh, with it. So you need to understand the rules for accessing your Roth dollars. And then the final part of your balance sheet, and this one's going to be one that is very instrumental if you want to retire early, it is very helpful to have some assets in a non-retirement account. That could be checking account, savings account, uh, a brokerage account that's not an IRA. So just a joint or individual brokerage account. So having assets that are not in tax-sheltered retirement plans is really beneficial. Um, anything you'd add to that before we talk a little bit about NUA? No, jump jump right in NUA. Okay, perfect. Net unrealized appreciation. So this uh, initial example with this podcast was ExxonMobil. So perfect, perfect use case for NUA there. Chevron, ConocoPhillips, Phillips 66, and tons of other companies have NUA in their 401k. So you own shares of your company stock in the 401k, but a 401k is subject to future income tax. But if you own stock, that is normally subject to capital gains. That is a way more favorable tax structure, capital gains is, compared to income tax. So to alleviate this strange ordeal where you might have company stock in a 401k, the IRS allows you to elect net unrealized appreciation on your shares of stock that are held in a 401k. So simply put, you're taking shares of a of your company that are in a 401k, you're moving them out of the 401k, you're sending those shares to a non-retirement brokerage account because in that brokerage account, you are taxed as capital gains. So there are uh, huge, huge, massive opportunities for getting NUA right. Um, if you have shares of, you know, let's say ConocoPhillips levered stock fund and the cost basis is $5 and the market value is $100, that is a beautiful NUA scenario. 
Uh, let's do one with ExxonMobil. Maybe you've been working at the company for three decades and you've got some older shares that you purchased for $14, $12, $15. And let's say ExxonMobil uh, at some point recently, it was around 110 so if you can take those low basis shares, get them out of your 401k, you can now face capital gains tax on those shares. But in order to do NUA, you cannot do a disqualifying event. And so you can't take money out of the 401k, take distributions, and then do NUA. Those distributions that you take could disqualify your ability to do NUA. And remember, NUA is is for, for some of you, NUA can be a, a six-figure tax opportunity or more. We are talking about massive lifetime tax savings if you get it right. And so if you are 56 and you're going to leave the company before you're 59 and a half, it's important to have a strategy around your NUA and you cannot make disqualifying events because you need income during that time. So it's important to get it all right at once. You have to if you do NUA, you got to clear out the entire 401k. Uh, so you can't leave money in there to then take out uh, because 401ks are not subject to early withdrawal penalties if you leave in the calendar year that you turn 55. So IRAs, 59 and a half. 401ks, 55. So that when you hear that, you think, well, my 401k is a great source of liquidity, great source of income until I turn 59 and a half. But if you have a huge NUA opportunity, it probably is not. And so you really need to consult someone who is well-seasoned and an expert in NUA with your plan uh, because you want to make sure that you don't disqualify your NUA opportunity, but you also have to plan out where are you going to get income from. I would say that's the next layer of this pyramid. I like what we're doing here with this pyramid, just kind of working up the hierarchy of needs. I would say the base, is it life optimal, right? Like if work is miserable... Uh, and you can retire, you should do it, right? Like the primary thing driving this decision, you know, you should understand the financial implications, but okay, is this life optimal? Does this get me closer to my version of life well-lived, right? Okay, is that box checked? Okay, I want to retire. Okay, can I actually afford it? Which is the second one, right? Of really understanding, okay, can I even make this work? Uh, if the answer is no, then unfortunately, you probably need to continue working. And maybe that's full-time, maybe that's consulting. So assuming that you've checked that second box, the third is, okay, this is a high stakes period if I retire in my mid fifties and there's a lot of penalties that I could potentially be exposed to if I mismanage it. Okay. How do I avoid penalties? Um, so, so that's kind of the third layer, but okay, let's say you've crossed that third layer and you you're liquid enough and you know how you're going to fund your living expenses at 59 and a half. I would say the next layer on top of that. Okay. How do I further optimize? So, okay, I've avoided any potential pitfalls, mistakes. Okay, is it, let's take it another level. Is there any optimization opportunities? And what, what strategies can, can listeners use to kind of plan for that? Perfect. Okay, so you are 56, 57 years old, and you've already got your strategy for how you're going to avoid early withdrawal penalties, and you've got your assets planned out properly. You've really thought through NUA well. Now, what are your tax opportunities? I think it is important to understand if you're in this boat. First and foremost, Jared, I, I mean, I'd say this. I think the most optimal scenario is you have got a second set of eyes. You've got this well mapped out well before you leave your company. Would you agree with that? Totally. Important to have this. I mean, if you can, 12 to 24 months before you leave your company, it would be helpful to have a plan perfectly in place. What do you think we should cover first? Zero percent capital gains or Roth conversions? Let's talk about 
zero uh, percent cap gains first. But the the kind of the context I want to set is right. This is getting back to that idea that we talk about most weeks is lifetime tax rate, right? So you're you're about to embark on a season where employment income has stopped or gone down because you're going from making a W two income at a super major to maybe consulting part time temporary, and so you're in a really low tax bracket. Right. So all of these strategies are a function of that. If you basically go from one super major to another, or you switch from oil and gas to tech, some of these might not make sense. But the scenario we're talking about, okay, I've retired from an employee, I've retired full time. I might be working part time, have a little bit of income, but I'm in a substantially lower tax bracket than I was in during my highest earning years at, a, at an oil and gas super major. So, Justin, let's talk about 0% cap gains first. Perfect. So, if you have a whole lot less income, than, than you used to have when you were full-time employed. A terrific first step is understanding, well, you can have up to a hundred and nine hundred eight thousand in income if you're married, filing joint, and it's about 54,000 or so if you're single. Uh, up to those numbers, you have a 0% capital gains tax bracket. And so what does that mean? You know, let's say that you do have $30,000 in income. Uh, let's do a married filing joint example. You've got $30,000 in income and then you need, let's say that you need 15,000 a year for your life expenses. Well, 15,000 a year is, you know, a, a hefty chunk of change. So how are you going to get almost 200,000 a year to do that? Oh, 15,000 a month you meant. You said so oh, 15,000 15, per month. A month. Okay, I'm glad, good. Yeah, I'm, glad I'm tracking. I'm tracking. Good. Awesome. Um, so what is that? Like 180,000 a year plus. So if that's what you need and you've got a little bit of income, well, you can sell, if we're doing married filing joint, you can sell about $75,000 in capital gains and that's all tax-free. It's at a 0% tax bracket. As long as your total adjusted gross income doesn't surpass about 108,000 with the standard deduction. And so, you know, if you've got a 150,000 in uh, a, a position and 75 of, of it is capital gain, well, you could sell all 150. You just incurred a $75,000 capital gain in this example. And with your 30,000 of other income now, all of that total income, that total AGI is hitting right at around 75 plus 30. So about 105 and all of that capital gain was taxed at 0%. So that is a massive, massive opportunity to take advantage of. And important to understand the window for you to do some of these things is really short. So the window for you to do these things is until you turn usually 67 or 70 and you start taking social security, your opportunity gets a whole lot less. And then once you're 72, you have to take distributions from your retirement accounts. The window totally closes there for most people. But then there's a third door that closes. And that is whenever you run out of non-retirement assets, there's a whole lot less that you're able to do. It is far easier to do to do some tax planning when you have some non-retirement assets. And so, you know, I think the one thing I if you're listening to this, you need to remember that, hey, it's great that you, number one, you were able to retire. Great job. Number two, you navigated the 55 to 59 and a half tax traps and you avoided early withdrawal penalties. Great job. But number three is you have got to be aware right now that you have a very limited window in life where you can do big tax planning. Um, and once you spend down your non-retirement assets, it, it largely goes away. Jared, anything you would add to 0% cap gains um, or should we talk about Roth conversions? 
one just nuance here is that there's kind of an even another window where Irma uh, determines your Medicare premiums. Uh, and that starts when you're on Medicare, which is at 65. Uh, but it looks back at income. So it technically kind of starts when you're 63. So that's that's another you know, in, in terms of lifetime tax rate, the, your income begins to impact Medicare premiums, uh, later on in life. So, you know, if you retire in your late fifties, early sixties, you might have opportunities in that window that would be, you know, thousands more expensive to initiate the same opportunity because of Medicare premiums. So that's another, another wrinkle to consider. Oh, and quick, uh, recap with capital gains. It's very tied to NUA. So if you're 56, 57, let's say that you do, elect NUA on $200,000 of ExxonMobil stock or ConocoPhillips or wherever you are, that same stock that you elected NUA on, that next calendar year, if you have no other income, those can be shares that you sell at a 0% tax bracket. Oh, and quick nuance there, NUA shares are unlike almost any other asset in the tax code, just about any asset you own. Right now, it gets a step up in basis when you pass it down to your children after you pass away. Uh, But NUA shares do not get a step up in basis. So those can be terrific shares to enjoy income in early retirement years at a 0% rate. And remember, that came from a 401k. And one thing we talk a lot about is you know, if if you have pre-tax assets that that surpass three, four million dollars, part of those pre-tax assets, 401k, pension, IRA, all of that combined, part of that bucket is likely going to face a 30% plus tax rate at some point. And so NUA and then the 0% tax bracket, that's an incredible way to start to put your assets at a much better future tax rate. And like we mentioned, that's that's going from potentially 30% plus down to 0%. So big, big opportunity there. And this is kind of connected to that. What about Roth conversions? Yep. So Roth conversions, just taking part of your pre-tax IRA 401k bucket and converting it partially to Roth IRA. Uh, Really important, Jared, let's start with what you mentioned, Medicare IRMA premiums. So when you're 63, your income that year is going to determine what your Medicare premium is when you're 65. So it looks back two years. So if you are retiring at 56, 57, hugely important to if you've got you know more than 3 million in retirement assets if you've got 5 6 million really critical that you're doing some partial roth conversions and you know if you can if you can take 350,000 if you're married filing joint from your IRA and if you can convert that to a roth IRA especially before you're 63 years old you are one paying a far lower income tax rate and just the income tax savings alone. If you model this out over a 20, 30 year window, I mean that you can easily save yourself six or seven figures in lifetime taxes. And so that's not unreasonable. That alone is a massive opportunity, but it's also a terrific way to lower future Medicare premiums. Jared, what else should we add there? No, I would just right add philosophically that there's an awesome opportunity here, right? Like on the one hand, we talked about, you know, retiring early in your late fifties and just having 10 more years that your portfolio needs to produce income, which yes, but on the, on the flip side of that, there's also more years where you're in low to no income from employment. So there's a, these strategies can make a huge difference and compound over a longer period of time. 
So like it, it, there's kind of a, there's kind of a push pull there, right? So if you are in the position where you get separated, maybe a little bit earlier, right? Like it's not, not the end of the world. Uh, there's things you could do consulting employment, you know, different employment, changing sectors, whatever, but also these, these strategies have an outsized benefit, the longer, the more time you have to implement them. So, uh, it's kind of a unique opportunity, uh, but retiring at 55 or, or mid fifties has, has its pros and cons. So you got to be positioned for it. And, you know, I think one final area to touch on real quick is if you're going to consult, if you're going to do some consulting and you're a 1099, or if, if your consulting allows you to open an LLC and file as an S corp, there are so many things you can do to, uh, really be tax efficient. So maybe you are paid a hundred thousand dollars, but you're able to take all of your expenses off of that $100,000. And then you're able, if you're an LLC filing as an S-corp, you can bifurcate that, that net income number. And some of it is W-2 subject to FICA taxes. Some of it is an owner's distribution that is not subject to FICA taxes. And so the other thing with that is you might have some income from consulting, but there are a ton of amazing tax planning opportunities just as a kind of 1099 or LLC filing as an S-corp. And though all of those tax opportunities, those are not available to you right now as a W-2 employee at a super major. That's exactly right. Yeah. So in summary, you know, life should be at the center of it, right? And then you need to ask yourself, okay, can, can I afford it? Right. And then you need to say, okay, if I can't afford it, okay, how do I avoid some of the tax traps related to this very delicate time pre 59 and a half? Okay. I've avoided the tax traps. Okay. How do I take advantage of the, of the tax opportunities is really, really a good framework for, for thinking about this. We love the listener question. Uh, it's a great one. And we have a lot of people walking out in their own lives. Uh, so any, anytime we get a listener question, we usually get response from another listener saying, oh, it's such a good episode. So if you have the question, another listener probably does. So we'd love for you to shoot it over to us. Podcast at brownleewealthmanagement.com. We'll see you next time. Thanks. Thanks for listening to this episode of the podcast. You can subscribe or connect with us at brownleewealthmanagement.com or send ideas for future episodes to podcast at brownleewealthmanagement.com. Thanks. And we'll see you next time. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Nothing discussed during this show or episode should be viewed as investment, legal, and tax advice. If you have questions pertaining to your specific situation, please consult the appropriate qualified professional.